Welcome to the latest episode of Journey to Midwifery podcast with Belinda. You guys are going to love this podcast is all I'm going to say. Belinda's story is so inspiring. I just, I can't wait for you to hear it. Send me emails and tell me what you thought. It was fantastic. I'm not going to say anything else. Just listen. Welcome to the Journey to Midwifery podcast. This is a podcast for and about midwives. This is the place where midwives come to share their stories. I am your host, Amber Wilson, a midwife myself. I felt called to this journey of sharing the stories of midwives around the globe, and I hope that you will find as much joy listening as I do interviewing. Remember the quote, life is about the journey, not the destination. Welcome to another episode of Journey to Midwifery podcast, and um, thank you, Belinda, for coming on with me this week. Give us an intro. Who are you? <laughs> um, I'm Belinda Kalashe. I'm a nurse midwife um, at Women's Birth and Wellness Center in Chapel Hill. Um, I started out as a direct entry midwife in the mountains of North Carolina. Now I'm a CNM, so sort of that path. <laughs> um, yeah, I am the director of midwifery at, um, at my birth center, and um, I teach at East Carolina's midwifery school um, in Greenville, um, and then I'm also a PhD student at East Carolina as well. And, You're uh, busy. Yeah, oh, and I'm an herbalist, and I have a, a side, like, herbal midwifery business called Bear Root Midwifery, so okay. that's who I am. Cool. We are going to get into your PhD, like we talked about, because I want to hear more about that um, and probably a little more about your side business, too. Okay. I love herbology. I wish I knew more. Yeah. I'm always envious of people that, like yourself, that have such a wealth of knowledge. You're all the things. Yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of the luxury of, um, you know, starting out as a direct entry midwife in the mountains. Yeah you know, those things just go together, you know, all the direct entry midwives have, you know, utilize herbalism. And so starting out on that path, um, really, you know, put my, just my whole philosophy of practice on track. And so I've been able to maintain that even, you know, becoming a CNM, even moving from home birth to birth center, I've been able to really hold on to my roots, uh, which was my, biggest concern about going for the CNM and it's my number one priority. It's, it's why I'm getting a PhD. So yeah. just to sort of infuse a little bit more of that traditional midwifery knowledge, the arts of our practice into nurse midwifery programs. That's kind of my passion project. Yep. And I can't speak for all CNMs, but I could say for many that we don't get that. Right. Right. So that's your students are very blessed to go through you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I um, 
first started doing it, I just, when I graduated from ECU, the director of that program asked me to come do an herb workshop for her students um, and then invited several preceptors from the state as sort of a thank you. And I couldn't believe it. There were, the room was full of CNMs. And um, so it really, that was sort of the beginning. And then, um, you know, she put my name out there to a lot of directors of other nurse midwifery programs. And next thing I know, I'm teaching um, everywhere. Um, and I realized once, you know, what I taught at Yale, I taught at uh, SUNY Stony Brook, Frontier, UNM, sort of all these midwifery schools in all these different locations. And I realized that and they all did the same thing. They invited preceptors and then I did it for the preceptors and students and they were always packed. And I just, I began to realize that this isn't just an ECU problem. This is a nurse midwifery education issue. And I think that when, um, when people want to be midwives and they go to midwifery school, whatever route that they take, I think this is just an assumption that you're going to get this sort of material in the program. And so, so many nurse midwives graduate without any of it or just a very little introduction to it. Um, and then you're busy and you're practicing. And so unless you make the time to learn it, you won't. Um, and I think that the bigger issue is most of the people that come to see us for care, regardless of where you practice, you know, if you are in a hospital setting or whatever, when they come to you, they kind of expect that you know that. And so that's usually how I start the workshop. I say, you know, how many of you have been asked, um, you know, what's a more natural thing I could take instead of this medication? And everyone raises their hand. And then I say, and how many of you knew what to recommend? And it's usually just like two or three folks. Um, and so I started to, after a couple of years of traveling around teaching this and just having so much demand, I was like, okay, this is like a systems issue that we really need to address. And that's kind of how I started on the PhD path because I felt like, you know, the only way to really make change, especially like in a CNM model, is to have the data, right? You have to have, um, we all know that this is important, but to actually make change like at a university level, I think you have to have data. And so there really isn't any on this particular thing. And so that's kind of what, you know, that's what I'm doing is trying to influence um, modern nurse midwifery education uh, with some of my DEM roots. And, um, and I've had like really good support from CPMs and direct entry midwives all over too that, you know, they agree. This is something this, this knowledge, you know, well, first it belongs to women, but it is in the realm of like the midwife archetype, this healer, this community care provider, um, the wise woman who knew these things. And I think that people still, even like on like an archetypical level, when a woman comes to see a midwife, there's this you know, bone deep expectation that she's going to see the wise woman who knows the things. 
And I think, you know, I talk to people every day who are like, yeah, that's what I thought I was getting. But then when I got in the office, it wasn't like that. And that just, you know, we are legitimate enough now uh, in the world that we can start to reclaim uh, some of the things that make us really different. You know, our model of care, it's more than just our, you know, excellent statistics and outcomes. It's this really ancient lineage of healing and presence that we have. Um, and to tie nurse midwives into that more fully, um, which was something that I was really well ingrained in, you know, as a direct entry, you know, little baby apprentice, like I, you know, that was just the way it was. And so, so that's my long winded answer to that question. That's a good answer. And I, um, I'm going to ask you to like, kind of specifically, we'll get there kind of what you're thinking for your research, but go back to the beginning. Tell me why you became a midwife way, way, whenever that was. Oh my. Um, so that was about 24 years ago. Um, I had had, you know, I had my first child when I was 18, uh, really rapey, uh, experience. You know, I showed up at the hospital eight centimeters. I was like, I don't know. I think like maybe I'm in labor, but I don't know. Um, and you know, knowing what I know, I'm not really sure why it happened like that. Cause if a 18 year old prime shows up eight centimeters, you can just leave her alone, you know, <laughs> but they didn't, you know, they put me in bed. They, um, broke my water. Um, but like I, they put me in bed, it started to hurt then. And I asked for an epidural and they were like, oh no, it's too late for that. And they broke my water. Now in this day and age, we would of course get the epidural for her first. And then if we felt like we needed to augment with that, we would. So I can't for the life of me, imagine why they said, no, it's too late. Then broke my water, made sure it was too late. Um, and so it, you know, cut an episiotomy without my consent, <sighs> nurses holding me down, yelling at me to push. It was just like really, really, really awful. Um, and there was nothing wrong with the baby's heartbeat. I mean, it wasn't an urgent thing. It was just the way it was. So um, needless to say, that really messed me up. And um, so a few years later, I was married and I was going to have another baby and I didn't know anything about anything, but I told my husband, I was like, I will squat under a tree and have this baby by myself. Like I am not, I'm not doing that again. And so a friend of mine was like, oh, you should call my midwife. And so um, I called her. I had no idea what a midwife was. And then I go see her and she's like, so why do you want to have a home birth? And I was like, oh, well, be but sure let's do that <laughs> and so uh yeah like many women I fell in love with her um and she took such good care of me and we had you know we would have tea at her house and hang out and um yeah just fell in love with her and so uh one day I came home and I was just raving to my husband about how amazing everything was and how I couldn't wait to have this baby and I never thought I would feel that way um and he was like, you know, Belinda, you'd make a good midwife. And the whole world tilted on its axis. And I just like, that was it. 
And, you know, as a midwife, it's funny because women come to you, you know, you hear that at least once a week from someone that you're working with. That's like, I, you know, I'm really into this. I think I want to be a midwife. So I've looked back on that moment when I came to my next appointment, I was like, all right, I want to be a midwife. Um, And she like took it seriously. She handed me a list and was like, okay, you know, if you do all these trainings and all these things, then I'll start taking you to birth. And I was like, done. Um, And so I had a beautiful home birth. I went to the farm and did their midwife assistant workshop, I think in like 98 or something um, and came back and, and started going to birth and that was it. And it's been full tilt ever since. So you did the, um, like the portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. I did the P process. Now I didn't ever submit mine. Cause of course, as, as all midwives know, divorce is a thing. And so um, I ended up getting divorced um, right as I had my whole peep ready to submit and so or my pep ready to submit. And so, you know, my midwife and I just she was like, I don't care about that. Like you're a midwife. We're together. We're partners. Like we'll get to that when you get stabilized, Mm -hmm. Um, which never happened because I'm in North Carolina and being a CPM is illegal and it's really, really hard. Um, And so, yeah, yeah. But I still, you know, it's really hard for me. I mean, I mainly just identify as a midwife. Right. And I'm really big into unity between CPMs, direct entry midwives, TBAs and CNMs like that's something I do. Um, I'm president of the North Carolina Midwives Alliance. And all we do is like have potlucks, you know, and hang out. There's no like agenda about it. No legal stuff. Just be together, be midwives. And so, um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of always been, but I do at least once a year, I get together with all the outlaws and, uh, and just feel that because, you know, it's a different, it's a different vibe when you're underground and, um, and I very much still identify that way. Yeah, I did not know that about Virginia or North Carolina. I was in Virginia and it was legal there, so I did not know. I thought we had mostly similar regulations and when I had my home birth practice in the mountains I did births like in east Tennessee and southwest Virginia and those were legal and I could Mm -hmm. even build insurance for those but my western North Carolina births were you know completely underground so um and of course like all you know or like many home birth midwives I had that huge like tri-state radius right because there's so few options for people yeah so what made you then say, okay, I'm going to do the CNM thing. Uh, Poverty, Uh, poverty and single motherhood. You know, I think I really, um, it was really hard. You know, it was one thing when I was married and, you know, I had childcare and I had financial help, but once he was gone and I was trying to support us, you know, a lot of people, especially mountain people, it was like a lot of bartering and, um, you know, you can't pay your bills with all those cool gifts. And, um, it was just really hard. And I, I really struggled about that. Actually, I just wrote a piece in our NCMA newsletter, about that struggle that I had because I, you know, I felt like I was kind of betraying my roots um, by going that route. But what I found was 
I had so much support. Like all my CPM sisters were like, yeah, girl, get in there and make the change, you know, be an advocate. And all the CNMs were like, oh, you know about herbs and stuff. Cool. Teach us what you know. So I was like really well supported by the entire midwifery community here. Um, and I've been able to work hard on CPM issues and CNM issues and unity efforts. And um, it's been good. It's been really good. Um, I'm glad I did it. It was really hard at the time, but um, over, and, and honestly, I really struggled with like a feeling of betrayal about midwifery that like, you know, here was this huge calling to serve and I couldn't even like buy groceries. And it was just really, um, I felt, I felt pretty jaded about having to do all of this to just offer my, you know, my service. Um, but now, now that I'm teaching at a midwifery program and I'm working at a birth center and I'm doing community birth and I'm doing all the things I'm doing, and I also have a lot more of a voice, you know, I can show up for um, oppressed midwives in this state as a fully legal licensed person with getting a doctorate with some shit to say, and I'm sorry, I don't know if we can cuss, um, and people will you know, I, I can be received. And I think I didn't see that bigger picture view uh, when I first made the move. Yeah. So I, for people that maybe are in similar shoes that you were in, how did you do that logistically? You're telling me you didn't have any money. You were a single mom. How in the heck did you get through nursing school, graduate school? How Girl, did you do strap, that? Strap in for this. So <laughs> I worked, um, we lived in a little single wide trailer with literal holes in the floor that I staple gunned carpets over. Um, I worked seven days a week in a horse barn. I do, I'm a horse person. I do some training and like teach lessons and stuff. So I worked seven days a week in the barn and they happened to have an after school program for girls. And so I was able to have my horse and my kids at this barn and I made a thousand dollars a month cash. And, um, and so I went to community college cause I only had a GED when I decided to do this thing. And so I had a GED, I could train horses, I could catch babies and maybe mix you up some plants, but that was like it. And, um, so I, uh, yeah, I worked seven days a week and had my babies with me. And so I would get up in the morning, take the kids to school, go to the barn, do all that stuff, go to class in the afternoon, pick up all the kids from the after school program, go back to the barn, work there till dark, come home, feed the kids, put them to bed make a pot of coffee, fire up my computer and do my schoolwork. And so, um, after about a year of community college, one of the professors there was like, you should apply for this. Um, University of North Carolina has this program. So for low achieving, or I'm sorry, high achieving, low income, first generation college students. Of course, no one in my family had ever gone to college. We were all teenage mothers. And um you, then you can apply to this program. And I had a little, you know, my little 4.0 at uh, community college. And so um, 
the imposter syndrome was really real. And I thought this is crazy, but she strongly encouraged me to apply. And I did, and I got in. So next thing I know, you know, I was thinking I was going to do a two-year ADN at community college, get, you know, be a nurse, get my bachelor's, get my master's, you know. But next thing I know, I'm transferring to Carolina in their nursing program on a full ride. Wow. It was crazy. So we moved out of the trailer to a double wide that had floors. So that was fancy for us. And um, I went to Carolina, graduated from there um, in 2012 with a BSN. And so then I was able to work at the UNC hospital, which is a state hospital. And then they will pay um, for you to go to a state school. And so so my bachelor's was paid for with that special program. And then I worked as a nurse and got my master's paid for at ECU. Um, so it was pretty, like, I really felt like divinely supported, you know, mm -hmm. it felt so, it took eight years and I worked full time the whole time. And I raised my three babies by myself. They were like, I guess they were eight, nine, and 13 when I started. Um, and so, you know, it was a long, hard road, but I just felt like I was, there was, every door was opening, you know, everything was just happening. And so even if I was exhausted and I didn't want to do it anymore and I was doubting myself, I felt like when the universe hands you things like that, you do the work, you know, you do the work. And I still feel that way. So when I applied for the PhD program, it was like a whole nother bout of imposter syndrome. Like, oh, okay, you're going to be Dr. Lachey now. All right. You know, um, so I applied and um, but was terrified and totally, you know, feeling way out of my depth. And then I got in and now I'm doing it and I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. Um and so, yeah, that's how I did it. I just did it. I don't think I've, I've, I mean, you don't sleep when you're a midwife anyway. So I pretty much haven't slept for about 24 years now. Yeah. <laughs> fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's fine. Well, I love, I, there's so much tenacity when I hear about midwives and I love stories like yours that are just like literally from the ground up and you just worked hard, saw your vision, but the hard work, like, I know you, I don't want you to discredit yourself by saying, yes, these opportunities were there, but your hard work is what, you know, nobody would have said, oh, you should apply for this scholarship if you weren't already being a hard worker, you know? Yeah. So don't discredit that. I understand imposter Appreciate syndrome. That. I'm there, but yeah, it is your hard work for sure. I yeah. Agree. And you raise all those kids or they all girls babies now i have a son and the two daughters okay so, yeah and now yeah. my youngest uh graduates in june in may from college so she i was the first college student in our whole like matrilineal line and she was the first one to like graduate high school go right to college and is going to graduate so no she's not pregnant neither of my yeah. daughters are pregnant and you for broke our the family <laughs> yeah, I had a baby at 18. My mom had me at 16. So I think for us, like this has been just a whole, 
you know, paradigm shift for our yeah. family and what's possible for poor mountain women, you know, yeah. um, and poor mountain people. So you have to be such an inspiration to your community. I'm sure. Are your children there near you? Yeah. Yeah. One of my daughters goes to UNC Greensboro and the other one goes to UNC Asheville. So they're here in North Carolina. Yeah. And my son's actually coming this weekend to look at a house nearby. So um, hopefully they'll just all be real close. Yeah. Know? Well, that's yeah. good. They saw all you did and they still love you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somehow with my extensive absence, um, sure. they, they, you know, but it was really about teamwork. I feel like, you know, they just, they shared the vision. They understood the whole point. Like they had starved, you know, all of us had experienced such extreme poverty and every leg up that I got, the better our lives got, you know, every little like move to a house without holes was a big deal. Um, and when I became a nurse, we went to the dentist for the first time, like had our, I had my teeth cleaned for the first time at 30, whatever years old. And so things like that, that they had experienced, they were just, they bought in, they supported me, you know, they cooked, they cleaned, mama's got to study, mama's got to take a nap. Like they really, everybody rallied to make this happen and I had a lot of support from you know my kids and my friends and other midwives um Angela Luigiano who you had on your program she used to take me out to lunch all the time and just you know pump me up and um you know you can't do it even with all the hard work you can't do it without people to hold you in your their laps and let you yeah. cry <laughs> you know? sure. yeah. yeah so I do wonder like Back when you started community college, how did that, I know this is way back, but for somebody that might be like, how do I even step a foot into this journey? How did you even say, like you couldn't even buy groceries. How did you go to community college? Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's money. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, as a single mom, I mean, I qualified for everything. Like FAFSA, you did your FAFSA. Yeah, FAFSA. yeah. I did my okay. FAFSA. I remember and, when I was in high school, I didn't even know what that was. I didn't have anybody to tell me what that was. Yeah. So that's yeah, why oh, I, I definitely like, didn't know. I just went up there. I was like, so I'm super old yeah. and these were my kids. Like we're, what do we do? And so I took those kids with me everywhere. They were like always up at the school. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, they just talked me through it. I mean, I find community college to be really, really understanding and supportive of, of that kind of scenario where you're an adult and you're trying to do this thing and you don't know how you're going to do it or what even there is to do or how it works. And they, um, you know, they really helped me. And when I, when I went back, when I went to community college, I, I'm like math phobic, which is hilarious for somebody getting their PhD. And, um, I had to take like the very basic remedial math. There's three, le four levels of remedial math. So I started in math 60, like addition, subtraction, fractions, math 70, math 80, math 90, to even get to a point where I could take like a college level math. 
And so I just want to say that, like, don't let that stuff intimidate you. You know, it's really like, I hate math and I hate science, which is hilarious because on a PhD program every day, they're like, why do you want to be a nurse scientist? I'm like, I really don't. <laughs> That's not exactly what I'm doing. Um, midwife doing midwife stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, you don't really have to have an affinity for that, you know. Um, and you there's money. That's yeah, you start thing. where you are and you, yeah, you'll get money. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was rough, but also what I noticed was, you know, the money has increased too. So like what was available every year that you do well in school, you, you qualify for more money the next time. So they really invest. So they'll find you more scholarships the further you go and the better you do, the more you apply yourself, the better the money gets. Um, and so, yeah, um, yeah, it was so all- So you had no debt too, no student loans? Well, that's no. Okay, <laughs> um, okay. I presume, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I would have if I had, um, I would have if I had been a smart person, mm -hmm. but I wasn't, I was really in this sort of mindset that, um, when I, now I didn't really have hardly any debt by the time I graduated nursing school, because all of that had been pretty, you know, handled, but then when I went back for my master's to go to midwifery school, um, you know, my, my school was paid for, but I also just didn't want to struggle. And I had three teenagers, so they're going to need cars. They're going to go to proms. They're going to need stuff. Um, and so I took out student loans in my master's program, and I'm doing it again in my PhD program because I just found that having some money cushioned things um, and made it a little bit easier. You know, I could work three twelves a week as a nurse, which was a cakewalk for me after, you know, all the other jobs I've been doing. I mean, I worked as a nursing assistant, a CNA in nursing school at the hospital. And that's a, that's a hell of a job. That'll teach you some shit. And like, so, you know, I'd been, a CNA and then I was a nurse and I just I just did so I took out some loans I have some debt um yeah but it was worth it to me to have that security in the bank and feel like I could work like a normal job and not have to kill myself um anymore you yeah know? well you're not alone I have definitely no judgment here but I yeah. also like like I do this because your story helps others so yeah, I, I could have questions. I could have graduated debt free had I not been so uh, such a scarcity mindset as like yeah. a poor kid, you know. Yeah, but having kids I think changes things too because mm -hmm. you're like, I got to think about that. I'm like you just said, they need all these things. You have all these other things to focus on. Yeah, you're not wrong. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it made it easier. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, did you work as an L and D nurse? No, no. I worked as a postpartum newborn nurse. I um, I was really clear that um, no one needed me 
on L&D, like I'm not the one, you know, I, I had been a midwife for a really long time. So I have like zero patience for like a fumbling intern. And I was super, super, super scared that I would have to witness something like what happened to me. And then I might burn the building down. So mm. I felt like it was probably better for everyone concerned. If I just went to postpartum newborn, like support women who've had traumatic births, like welcome them, help them breastfeed, tuck them in, you know, better me to use my midwifery skills there than stab someone with episiotomy scissors uh, on L&D. And I know that sounds crazy, but I just wasn't willing to do it. And so Becky, um, who's the director of the ECU midwifery school, you know, I just told her that I was like, I'm not willing. So if that's like a criteria, then this probably isn't the right program for me. Um, And so she just arranged for me to do like a little um, rotation on L&D, like shadowing kind of thing. Um, And I had to take like a fetal monitoring course because that was certainly something I didn't know anything about, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But I did all of those things. I was like, I'll do anything. I just don't want to do that. Um, but I will say that's me and I'm, I'm fairly intense and I, I have mentored many, many, many people who, um, started out on a similar path, who did become L&D nurses, were able to hold on to their integrity and their vision and get a lot of experience, um, and then go on to midwifery school. So I don't, you know, that was personal for me. And a lot of it had to do with my own birth experience. You know, it was just too, I was just really, you know, because that stuff doesn't leave us, right? That kind of trauma lives in the body. And even what I had to witness as a nursing student um, and as a midwifery student, um, witnessing anything even remotely like that on those clinicals was really hard. And I thought this can't be my job. I just, I don't need to be triggered like that every day. You know, it's, that's not, I've seen some births. I don't need that kind of experience, you know. That's really, I like that reflection of you uh, that you were able to say like, nope, that's not going to work for me. I think that's a bonus when you come in with experience that you can say, these are your boundaries. Because who knows if you had done that, maybe you wouldn't have gone through with this. Yeah, I think not. Yeah, I think not. Yeah. Um, So when you graduated, what did you do after that? In midwifery, when I graduated in midwifery school? Mm -hmm. um, I had done a couple of clinical rotations at the birth center in Chapel Hill. Um, And um, Maureen Darcy, who's the founder of that birth center, um, really super famous nurse midwife in the birth center world. Um, and a very, I mean, people think I'm intense. Clearly you, if you knew Maureen, you would think that was hilarious. Um, and she just took, you know, she took a liking to me and really, honestly, she courted me. Like I felt seduced. Um, (laughs) and I kept, yeah, I kept arguing with her, you know, like I said, I was like, I don't think I'm, I'm, I stir trouble. I'm an outlaw. Like I'm not, I'm not going to just jump in your little practice and swim. Like I will cause problems. Um, and she was, you know, we argued and argued about it for a while. 
And finally, one day she just grabbed me by my shoulder. So I was about to graduate and we were already working on some projects. She was very pro CPM. And so she had like pulled me in, to, you know, that's what I mean, the seduction thing. She pulled me into some unity things she had going on and we were already working together. And, um, and she said, finally, one day I was going on and on about why I'm a terrible fit and the imposter syndrome was real still. And um, she grabbed me by the shoulder. She was like, look, I want you in my practice because you were an illegal home birth midwife. And that's the kind of midwifery I want in my birth center. I know who you are and I'm telling you I want you. So let's start negotiating. She proposed to you. She did. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, then I have no arguments left. And honestly, you know, after spending so many years doing home birth and I was assisting a home birth CNM. Oh, I forgot. That. I was assisting a home birth CNM while also in midwifery school while also working because I needed it, you know, I just needed to be like making scrambled eggs in people's kitchens and seeing what I do, just keeping that vision, you know, in my mind. And um, so I think that midwife and I had kind of talked about maybe me joining her home birth practice. And then Maureen came along with this and I kept thinking, what would it be like to do what I do, but also have days off? Huh? And it just really, after years and years of working all the time in school, I just really, um, yeah, I, I was like, I think I'm going to do this. And I talked to the home birth midwife and she was like, of course, like, why, why wouldn't you? Um, and so, yeah, so I took the job. I think I graduated on Friday and I started doing stuff on Monday. Like she just like threw me in there and started teaching me everything. So um, and I've been there ever since, like six years, it'll be in May. And it's all birth center? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we do primary care, you know, primary care, well woman, maternity care. Mm -hmm. We have the birth center, postpartum, breastfeeding. We do. We also take care of the babies for the first 28 days, which I like, which was mm -hmm. something that I didn't get to do in home birth and not something a lot of CNMs get to do. So we take care of them. It's, it's a lot of work. Peds is not cute, but it's, it's nice to, you know, take care of the diet because you yeah. have so much more of a holistic understanding of, their whole situation yeah um so yeah yeah it's been really cool and then now I'm the director as of uh this summer so congratulations yeah yeah we're just gonna infuse it with some outlaw midwifery you know <laughs> um yeah so. so then now this PhD how did that come about I know you mentioned before we got on here that you were kind of back and forth between DNP and PhD so what made you pick PhD. Yeah. I mean, certainly I wanted to just do the DMP. You know, I'm really, since I started teaching at the college, working with midwifery students has like, I wouldn't, I mean, I still cry at birth. I cried at a birth yesterday morning at 5 a.m. Like I, I still love birth work, but I've been a midwife a long time. And, you know, I, I found this renewed passion 
when I started teaching at ECU, working with these students, like you just can't be around them without, you know, and I get to, and they're so like into whatever kind of like crazy midwife archetype shit I want to talk about, you know, they're just, they're in it and I really love it. And so I kind of found this love for, uh, academia really and just being with midwifery students and I thought you know I know way too many midwives who have practiced until they were you know till their backs were broken and their knees were broken and they had no real retirement plan and they just had to keep going way past when they were ready to stop being on call and I kept thinking about that and I kept thinking about um especially in home birth world I mean you're never getting out of there you know um, and so I don't know. And I love working with the students. So I sort of started thinking about, I better get a doctorate. Um, if, if this is sort of where I want to go, like eventually get away from the bedside and just teach, teach, teach these young next generation midwives about the things. Um, and so I was looking at DMPs and, you know, the DMP you take, research, existing research, and you implement, as you know, you have a DMP, you implement a, you know, a change or, um, and so I was like, yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to do. But there was literally three existing research studies and they were all old. They were all 2006 and older um, in the whole United States about, what I'm interested in, which is how do we infuse the arts of midwifery in the science heavy nurse midwifery programs? Like we need a better balance and that's what the students are wanting. And that's what the women we take care of are wanting. Like everybody's wanting this melding of art and science. And I think in this quest for legitimacy, which is valid, um, nurse midwives have had to sort of legitimize themselves for a really long time. And that, you know, that caused sort of a break from some of these older, more traditional midwifery things. <clears throat> so as I realized there were, there was no research for me to implement for a DMP project, um, I called a midwife friend of mine who uh, is PhD. She's actually the chair of the PhD program at ECU. And um, I was like, so does that mean I have to do the research if there isn't any? And she was like, that's exactly what that means. So uh, application deadlines, you know, in a month, get on it. And, um, and so that's kind of where I'm at. So um you know, it's not that different than the, you know, direct entry to CNM thing that I sort of had to choose. It's like that here too, where I just feel like if I want to serve this vision um, and serve midwifery as a calling, then this is what it's going to take because this is important. Um, I think, you know, nurse midwifery is just getting bigger and bigger. And if we, if we don't influence their educational process, um, 
And I too, and I think that it really speaks to, you know, the things I'm passionate about with like unity too, right? So it's, it's herbalism, it's unity amongst midwives, because they're being taught by someone who started out on a direct entry route. So we talk about that a lot, I demystify that for them. And it becomes less of a, um, you know, mystery um they're they're familiar with what that means and so then i imagine that as you put more midwives out into the world that value traditional midwifery um, and what those midwives bring to the table you know their education is different um, but it's it's also something that we all share um, i think that will influence hopefully midwifery in the country you know that's kind of no, you know, just that small vision is what I have. Just would like to to be a part of some change, mm -hmm. um, and um, and I think it's going to take the doctorate to do it. So. so yeah, I mean, figuring out a way to come together is huge. Yes, but I do. What is it that you found in your research? The minimal, and what I know you're early, but what is your plan for like? What are you doing? Well, right now I'm doing, um, so we know that midwives, regardless of what path you take, you are socialized to the profession, right? Mm -hmm. And so socialization is where you take on the attitudes, beliefs, um, philosophies, the culture of whatever it is you're joining, um, you know, you're, you're, you aspire to join this and in that process of becoming a midwife you're socialized to what it actually means and so um i'm looking at and so well as you're socialized that's where you start to form your midwife identity like who am i as a midwife what do i bring what you know um how to merge your existing philosophies with midwifery philosophies so um, I am studying different aspects of socialization um, to midwifery and how those affect development or of the midwife identity, um, how you can influence that um, in a variety of ways, good ways, bad ways. Um, so right now the paper I'm writing is on um, consistent mentorship. So sort of bringing it back to, if you think about, you know, I was apprentice trained. I apprenticed for eight years with two different midwives. And so talk about socializing you to the culture, right? And I just lived basically with them. I mean, I cleaned their bathrooms and I went to everything they went to and like, I was socialized in that way. And then in midwifery school, and, and that's the traditional way that midwives have been trained, right? Is you learn from elders and that's how you're socialized. And so I think I've identified that it's hard in nurse midwifery programs a lot of times because you have a variety of clinical experiences with preceptors. And so you may have 16 weeks with one preceptor. And maybe this is someone you really jive with and you're like, you know, you're developing this relationship with them. They're really influencing you, they're role modeling. 
you know, you're seeing midwifery in action, like the real thing. Um, and then maybe you get sent to another clinical experience that is nothing like that. And you're just struggling to get through it. How different would it be if in addition to your clinical preceptorships, you had one mentor, like a consistent mentor, someone that you're philosophically aligned with, someone who practices the kind of midwifery you would like to practice um, that just held space for you. Sort of like I was saying, like when Angela would take me to lunch um, or Nancy would take me to home births and hold me in her lap and rub my head while I cried about how hard it was. You know, like what if you had that kind of a person um, that just held an overall umbrella of why you're doing this and what it's really about and somewhere where you could reflect on your and it would you know it's the same for direct entry midwives because sometimes you're apprenticing with someone that you're not really philosophically aligned with they're just the midwife in your area that you have to be with to get your catches to get your pep done you know what i mean and so I just think about how we need mentorship. We need somebody to sort of fill in that old apprenticeship space where you're held in this transformation of becoming a midwife and developing who you are. Um, and so that's what my most recent um, research is about, is looking at how consistent mentorship um, affects becoming a midwife and that experience. And, and then what kind of midwife do you become, right? Um, with it and without it. If you're just doing traditional, you know, whoever you can be with versus um, having, doing that and having somebody with you. What research did you look at that was already there? The couple papers. Well, so there's uh, Robin Jordan, and Judith Rooks are the main two um, who, you know, Robin Jordan's um, dissertation was in 2006 and it's profound. Um, she looked at the ha two hallmarks of midwifery um, and how students are socialized to those. Like, are they seeing midwives doing those behaviors in practice? Are they actually seeing that? Or is it just a theory or a philosophy you learn about in school, but you never actually see it in practice? So that's exactly my jam. That's kind of where I'm at. And so I love her work. Judith Rooks wrote, um, what is the midwifery model of care and how do you socialize students to it? And then um, Dr. Valentina Welch, who's at Duke, um, who I've done a little bit of unity work with, she's very cool. She looked, she did a pilot study on an e-mentoring program specifically for students of color. Um, because of course it's harder to find role models and preceptors and mentors for that population of students. And so that was a fascinating study, um, you know, matching people with similar ethnicities, with similar cultural backgrounds, with similar philosophies and having that mentorship throughout their program and how it affected their experience. So in the United States, those three, 
and I've been looking at this for a long time. Now I have tons and tons of really cool research out of Australia in particular, um, England also, you know, places where midwives are well-established um, and they have their own schools and they do their own things. Um, but in the US, like, that's it. That's like all there is on this particular topic. You know, there's lots and lots of research about, um, our improved outcomes as midwives and that sort of thing. But this particular thing, um, yeah, not much. And can I safely assume that it was a good outcome? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what a life-changing experience. But it does, the research that I've looked at about mentorship, it's very important that it be a mentor that shares the same mm -hmm. philosophy of practice and way of practice. So like, you know. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Like most of my students really love me and find me refreshing. Some are completely horrified by my approach. I mean, not only am I covered in tattoos from head to toe, I also cuss a lot, you know, like I'm not for everybody and not everybody is really into um, this sort of thing, right? Some people are like, you know, I was a labor and delivery nurse. I'm ready to be an advanced practice provider. And that's sort of like, that's, they don't necessarily identify as midwives, like in the traditional sense of the word, you right. know, like I really, I really, um, am very, um, adverse to being called an advanced practice provider like that's not at all I've been a midwife born and bred that's who I am it doesn't matter what the initials are or what the training are is you know like I knew at the very first minute and it's never changed I mean sometimes we all wish that we could do something else but you can't because if you're a midwife you're a midwife you know yeah that's true so, yeah we all do come from so many different I, I've met people like you're talking about or like myself personally I love love wish I knew all the things you did but I couldn't live the life of being all call and be a home birth so how yeah. do you mesh those two your passion with what you can realistically do with your life I mean I guess we can all do anything really if we put our mind to it but you know what I mean based on yeah. the needs of my family so how did I how do you mesh that um and the concept of <laughs> Even from my own personal experiences, I'm sure I'm not the only one echoing these words, but finding that person that you match with, because especially as a student, you have to do these things that sometimes you don't want to do. You dread having to go to this place that you're like, oh, I have to be with this person. So yeah. if you had to do that, but then also had, it would make it easier if you knew you had your little like best friend mentor to call. Yeah right? Yeah. I mean, and it, and it goes beyond, you know, because your peers, I mean, there's a lot of peer mentoring models too, right? But it makes such a difference to have an experienced midwife who's been there say like, listen, you know, and I remember even the first baby I caught at the birth center as a student, um, I, I'm pretty uh, hands off, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of a verbal midwife and I'll rub your back, but I don't like get all up in there and do a lot of stuff. And especially 
that moment when the baby's born. I'm like really intensely protective that, you know, when somebody reaches down and pulls their baby up to them, that we don't intervene. We don't come at them with the stethoscopes and the towels and stuff like let her have a moment. That's her moment. It's not about anything but that glorious moment of meeting this new child. We've got, you know, give them 30 seconds and we'll get in there and do all our stuff if we need to. But that moment belongs to them, to the family. And I'm real crazy about that. So my first birth as a student midwife at the birth center, um, you know, I caught the baby and um, the assistant was just all over that baby. And the midwife was, you know, they were just like very, very, very hands-on. The woman didn't seem to notice. I mean, every, it was just very beautiful water birth. Like, you know, it was fine. But for me, I was like, oh, whoa, this is not home birthy to me. Um, and I remember I, you know, we walked out of the room and it was all tucked in and the preceptor was like, wow, what an amazing, that was beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, uh-huh. And then I went outside and called my friend. I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this. This is not, mm -mm, no, I don't like that. And she was like, Belinda, when you run the room, when you're the midwife and it's your room, then you're going to be able to influence that. And the more people that see that, the more assistants that work with you and get comfortable with that sort of more hands-off approach, then, you know, it, you're, you're going to have that power eventually to guard that space better. But right now you're a student, just be a student. And so that, you know, it, it she was, was right. And she was right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 that so is hard. I always say, that. like, take what you like and take what you don't like and become you because not everything I do you're going to love or agree with, right? Same when you watch people yeah. or the people you watched. So yeah. she was right, yeah, yeah, it's true. And when I have students, you know, I have students all the time now, yeah, and so when they're catching babies, I have to do that same thing for them and for myself. I'm like, she is becoming a midwife. This is her practice that's developing. I can help her. I can give her my perspective, but you have to allow them to practice in the way that's comfortable for them, you know, um, given where they are. Because I know when I first started assisting at home births, I was very serious about my job. I was there with my towel, my bulb syringe, my timer. I was like, you got a stethoscope around my neck. I'm ready to assist with the baby, you know, and I had a job to do. So I see that and I understand it. But as you gain experience, you start to have just a whole different perspective about your ownership of people's births right it's just different like I have zero ownership I am so content to sit and drink my coffee and watch you catch your baby that is fine with me I don't care um and if you need me I will handle the situation you know we have a shoulder problem we have a bleeding problem you can bet I got the skills and I'll deal with it but I am also much more uh backed off than I used to be when I was a baby midwife you mm -hmm. know time, your time and experience.
Yeah, yeah. It's all that. You, yeah. You change, you know, as you get more comfortable. After yeah. you've seen so much, you're just like, oh, you know, that that's actually not a thing. Yeah. yeah it's fine. It's I'm fine. not very important in this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are you? Um, I didn't live far from ECU before, so I have a little love for y'all, but what do you teach specifically? I teach, so I get them their senior year. Mm -hmm. um, I teach them the semester they start catching babies. They do um, intrapartum and postpartum newborn. So I teach postpartum newborn, um, which is great because then I So, you know, postpartum newborn is really fun to teach because of all the mood stuff um, and herbalism. And it's just like a great opportunity to um, show how applicable that can be, especially because a lot of women that are breastfeeding really don't want to be on meds, you know, and um so there are herbs that you can try in place of meds and there are herbs that you can try in concert with medication and lifestyle changes like protected sleep, you know, stuff like that. And then I get them. Um, so that's the fall. And then in the spring, I teach them their integration. So their capstone course. And so that's when they're they do like 364 clinical hours. They're preparing for boards. Um, they're catching babies. They're doing prenatals. They're doing well woman. They're just like having the whole midwife life. Um, and so I have them for that, which is really fun. Mm -hmm. um, so I get them senior year. And I, you know, my hope is. I'd really like to get them maybe their first year somewhere in there, like some kind of intro course um, and start. Cause a lot of times by the time they get to me, um, they're, they're resigned to what school has been and what it looks like. And then they walk in with me on the first day and I'm like, okay, close your eyes, lay on the floor. We're going to drop into our midwife bones and we're going to do all this stuff. And, uh, you know, here, take these herbs and make this tea. And like, um, so it's fun when I get them, but I think they would really benefit from some of that early, early on. Um, you know, but I do think the senior year is where that midwife identity really gets solidified because you're catching babies, you're doing the things and you're thinking about graduation, you're thinking about where you want to practice. And so, um, and then, you know, I usually at least have one student at the birth center who's one of my students who's mm -hmm. catching babies there. Do you all have a in-classroom set up or is it virtual or it's virtual you do come you come quite a bit well you come once a semester for like a week like three mm -hmm. days to five days to learn stuff so in the fall they come and we teach them how to catch babies and suture and stuff like that um and then in the spring at the end of their coursework we go down for a one-week board review um, and then we do like, um, I always, of course, lead the um, blessing of the hand ceremony where they, you know, get their, um, you know, get blessed by a bunch of midwives and get their hands blessed and um, get ready to go out into the world. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's fun. So yeah. tell me how you teach, you integrate a little bit of your herbology in your 
in the formal education, but I if someone wanted to, like myself or anybody, we don't know anything, how do we do it? How do we learn more? Well, I think it kind of depends on what you've got the bandwidth for. So mm -hmm. I still apprentice with, I apprentice now with an herbalist in Saxbaha, North Carolina, um, who, you know, her weakest link is like pregnancy stuff. Cause even in herbalism, it's, there's a lot of like, you know, you should talk to your midwife. Then they talk to the midwife who doesn't know either. Yeah. And so that's sort of my niche, right, is what's okay, you know, in the childbearing year. Okay. And the only other person, of course, is Susan Weed, who, you know, I'm sure we all have a copy of the Herbs for the Childbearing Year mm -hmm. book. And so um, it takes a certain amount of um, experience to teach that Astrid Grove who you had on your mm -hmm. program she teaches um, herbalism for midwives so I think it depends on if you want to like become an herbalist that's one route and then there's you know I'm a clinician and I want to learn herbs to supplement my practice kind of thing so those are the classes I teach and Astrid teaches where you know you're already a clinician and you want to incorporate it in your practice um, and so then it's just about finding someone who you know like I said I travel everywhere I've taught that workshop everywhere not just at midwifery schools but I've been invited to practices and different things um and there is no ownership of that knowledge right it's there for us mm -hmm. um it's just up to the people who know to share it right um and and then you have to know where to go to find the people who know right? exactly yeah um but you know a lot of herbalists could be really helpful for a lot of things especially like prenatal complaints whoever your local herbalist is have them come teach you a workshop you know um stuff like that that's just really easy so that when a woman says you know i was thinking about taking this or do you know about this you'd be like actually i do yeah um and be able to keep that going and you know i always tell people just pick one just pick like one plant and really get into it you know i think i started I think I started with dandelion, which is like my chest has to dandelions, like my gate, my gate herb and um, <laughs> gateway, herb. my gateway. Herb. <laughs> and uh, it's something we work with in pregnancy a lot. It's got a lot of uses in pregnancy. And so I was drinking the tea. I was taking the tincture. I was, you know, sitting with the plant all the time and then just reading everything about how it relates to the women I take care of. And so I just started with like one thing um, and, you know, it didn't matter what your complaint was. I was like, try a little dandelion. You should just drink the tea and take this tincture. It's, it's probably going to help, but it usually does. Can't go wrong with dandelion. It's always a safe recommendation. Um, and so I think that's another way to do it, you know. Um, Self-study kind of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then just, you know, if you can find someone who, you know, a lot of times the women we take care of are herbalists. Um, and then, you know, once you find that connection, you're golden. Now you've got somebody and you can start learning about things. 
you know um it's so funny because it's literally just plants and half of them grow in your yard anyway it's like there's no mystifying you know thing about it and that's what you know um I try to in my workshop keep it very like there's no there's no mystery this is not a hard thing go pick some dandelion leaves throw them in your salad boom you're an herbalist I always say like do you grow you know do you grow like rosemary and thyme and stuff and they're like yeah I'm like oh there you go herbalism you know it's just not that big of a deal um and it's easy to pick up uh one plant at a time and start figuring out how you use it you know red raspberry leaf shit you can't go wrong with that right um so yeah do you still actively um travel and teach that I do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been pretty slow in COVID times. Yeah. I taught, um, I taught in August at ECU. Um, normally, normally I have at least, you know, six workshops a year booked, but I don't have anything for this year. Um, but if somebody wanted to have me come, all you have to do is, you know, message me and, um, and we can set it up. Say your Instagram name again so they can find you. So I'm a bear, as in the animal, at Bear Root Midwif Midwife. Um, so, yeah. I'll put the link in the notes. Okay. But I always like you to say it again. I know you said it at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bear yeah. Root Midwife and Bear Root Midwifery is my little, my little herb business. And I do... You know, I do formulas for midwives, like postpartum hemorrhage blends and stuff like that. And then I do formulas for like women's health. Um, but I will say since the PhD and taking the director position, I'm having a hard time focusing um, on my herbalism. But, you know, one plant that we work with a lot at the birth center is cotton root bark tincture. Um, and so, um, Leah, my, the herbalist I apprentice with, started me and another midwife a bunch of cotton baby plants and we split them up and planted them. And so um, February 13th, I'm going to have the midwives and nurses from the birth center come over. We're going to dig up the cotton root and we're going to make tincture and infuse it with all the love because that's, you know, it's an oxytoxic herb. So it stimulates contractions and um, it's just good womb medicine. And I was like, you know what we need? We need like a bunch of birth workers putting the mojo in this mix that we're going to be using at the birth center. And so I thought it'd be fun. Plus everybody's interested, you know, yeah. they have to, um, like make medicine. And I was like, well, great. You can come work in my garden and we can totally do that. And so we're going to do that um, in a couple of weeks and I'm excited about it. That is fun. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be Okay, so you've your story is awesome. I can't wait to share it. Um, I think one of your students recommended you to me. That's how I found you, or you found me. Yeah, something. One, of, one of my one of my mentees. Yeah, she's yeah. Uh, she's. I've been you know kind of just helping her. Angela and I tag team, um, and you know, Angela. You know, Angela's retired now, and so yeah. she's she's a lot more available than I am. But we. We really take the mentorship aspect seriously, especially in North Carolina, where we just need every midwife we can get, you know, yeah. and they need to be welcomed into the community. You know, when someone, when someone 
says, you know, I want to be a midwife, that needs to be an immediate seed that is nurtured, you know, and I um, give them my number right away. I'm like, you know, yeah, call me, text me, we'll meet up for coffee. Let's talk about it. Um, because we need, we need midwives, you know. What is something you say when you hear that? Like, what's your, if you could give magic words of wisdom in, you know, five minutes, what would be that you'd say? You probably someone, say something off. Like when someone says, I'm thinking about being a midwife or being a midwife or, or even struggling in midwifery school, something like, what is your hmm. words of wisdom to pass on or somebody well, listening today? Okay. Um, I think the biggest thing that is important to remember is that midwifery, you know, women tending to women is in your DNA. I guarantee you that you have ancestors that took care of people in their communities and took care of their families and birthed babies and, um, you know, mixed herbs like that knowledge belongs to us. It's there. All you have to do is get down to the bones um, and of who you are and access that information. And so, um, and, you know, I always tell, you know, baby midwives that too. I'm like, forget about the techniques and all the stuff that they taught you. Forget all that. Just let your hands do it. Your hands know. Your hands will do it. If you just get your, it's like you tell women in labor, get out of your head and let your body do it. It's the same thing in midwifery. Let your heart guide you. Let your hands do the things that they know how to do. And whenever you are in doubt, uh, you know, Lisa Goldstein, I don't know if you know her. She's a really cool um, elder midwife and herbalist. She taught me everything I know about herbalism. And she, um, she used to tell me, you know, whenever you start to get into your head, just go outside, just take a minute, take off your gloves, step outside, take a few deep breaths and just ground into the wisdom. The wisdom is there, you know, it's there. Um, it's so, it's your intuition, it's everything. It's your DNA, it's your genetic code, it's your ancestry, it's your lineage. It is there. Um, if you are called to this, you have access to it. And it's so, the more you tap into it, the stronger it gets. Um, and so then you will just, it will just guide every decision that you make in your life. It'll just guide your work in this world and it'll keep you authentic um, and in your integrity no matter where you practice, no matter how oppressed you may be, no matter what, that same, you know, midwifery archetypal sort of energy is there for all of us to tap into. Um, and so that's what I tell people just like that. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was beautiful. And you know that midwife energy goes with you. It's not just in a birth room. Everywhere. That's it's right. Everywhere. Your kids, right. your friends, your husband. Midwifing is a verb. <laughs> That's exactly right. It is not a title. It is something that you live. It's who mm -hmm. you are. It is so much a part of your identity that you can't... Um, you know, I've tried to walk away from midwifery a few million times. Um, <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, I think the first time I tried to, to walk away from it, I was in a grocery store and um, a woman literally came up to me for no reason at all and said, I don't know why, but I am compelled to talk to you about this. And then told me about her miscarriage and everything she was dealing with in life. And I laughed. I mean, I was like, okay all right universe I hear you like this is absurd like I'm at a grocery store in my pajamas like what are we doing um and I just think you know that's just it you know it, it is you um and it'll serve you in every aspect of your life like you said yep yeah um, well thank you Belinda for coming on I can't a pleasure. tell you how, how much I enjoyed this. I really hope that people find inspiration in this story and they will no matter what, you know, you, you have it, you know, and, and you'll be guided. So, yeah, you have a very inspired story. I'm inspired and I'm already Thank here. You. I so. love doing this work. Like I told you this podcast um i've heard so many aspiring midwives and student midwives say that they lean on this um, to get them through this is mentorship right you're exposing yeah. them to mentors and you're yeah. you're midwifing this and so i just think it's it's wonderful work i'm really honored to be here and thank you thank so you much. i will tell you quickly that it came about because i was literally like walking outside nature and something hit me that was like, um, you know, you're always asked, how'd you become a midwife? Da, 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 right. We're always asked that. Yeah. I was like, yeah. they all need to be in one place. Someone needs to have a place uh, they can find these stories. So wow. where is that? And that's, wow. that's it. And here we are. And, and here we are. Have, what a difference it's made. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> two, like two and a half years it's been going. So it's been I fun. It. I really enjoy it. So thank you. It's thank my honor to have you on. Thank you so much. I am um, glad that I did it. And um, yeah, I hope we can work together on something in the future. I know. Thank yeah. you. Me too. Yeah. Okay, that's a wrap for another episode. I hope that you guys found as much inspiration from Belinda's story as I did. As I said, her story inspired me and I'm already a midwife. I mean, if you have any sort of seed in you that's saying, I wanna be a midwife, her story just has to light that fire in you. So I am honored and flattered that Belinda took the time out to come on and share her story. And so from me to you, Belinda, personally, thank you so much for coming on. And I just love these episodes. I love recording them. I, every week I'm like, oh, that was my favorite. But honestly, I don't have a favorite. I love all, all the stories. I love the storytelling that we're passing on to each other. And so I do have a long list of, of folks that I'm going to have on the podcast, probably about six to seven months worth of guests. But you know, definitely reach out to me if you're interested in coming on or if you have a suggestion. My email is journey to midwifery podcast at gmail.com, Instagram and Facebook at journey to midwifery podcast. Also, I love it when you guys reach out and give me all the good feels and feedback about how the podcast has helped you, how you felt inspired, what you've loved. And you can even send me suggestions on questions that you want people to answer in future podcasts. I'm happy to do that. So until next time.